0: Bible says, and he, Jesus, came down with them and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowds sought to touch him for power came out from him and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. You're blessed. Come on. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did of the false prophets. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you help me preach your word this morning? Lord, not just to preach to have a performance or to gain knowledge, but Lord, that the preached word, the spoken word of God would bring life and bring transformation, would break the chain of bondage, would help people uh, follow and know you better. I pray this this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've been preaching through uh, just some of the early days of Jesus' life and ministry, kind of focusing on some of the the elementary things when you start reading about what Jesus did and who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. And so we looked at Jesus' baptism and we looked about Him calling His first disciples and we looked at all kinds of His first miracle uh, with the, the water turned into wine. Last week, we looked at the miracle catch where He called some of His first disciples Peter and James and John and they had that miracle, net-breaking, boat-sinking miracle when they, when they caught that, that multitude of fish. And so, just the next kind of story that I saw in Scripture was in Luke chapter 6, and it was this place where Jesus, the night before, if you read earlier in the chapter, had taken some of His disciples up on the mountain to pray. And He had been up there all night. And if you read the story of Jesus, if you read the Gospels, you'll find out Jesus spends a lot of time praying. He spends a lot of time on his own and his favorite place to pray was in the mountains. He, he liked to get up high. I don't know if it was the higher you are, the closer to God. I, I don't know. But I do know that when you're on a mountain, it puts things in perspective. You know, if you go up and have lunch on Mount Magazine this afternoon and you go walk out on the on the, uh, the the outlook over there, the walkway that's out in front of the lodge, and you look down into the valley and you can see, some of you, you can see your own house from up there. And suddenly all those problems that seem so big in your house, come on, from up there, they seem a little smaller, don't they? There's something about when you look at things from a different vantage point, you get a different perspective. You can see things differently things that seem to be so big can begin to look small. And so I think sometimes Jesus went up to pray on the mountain because he could see things the way his heavenly father saw things. He could see things and understand things the way his father saw things. So he had been up on the mountain. For some reason, that was the place he liked to go pray. And he had been there all night. And And, and this happens several times in scriptures where the disciples go with Jesus to pray up in the mountains. And he's up all night and they fall asleep every time. You know, that happens too. You ever fall asleep praying? You ever fall asleep trying to read the Bible? Yeah, <laughs> it can happen. And so Jesus had been spending time with the father at the top of the mountain and it says the next morning that he came down with them he came. how many's thankful jesus comes down where you are How many is thankful he came down from the mountain? He did not wait. There was a whole multitude of people waiting for him. Some of them were faithful Jews, some of them were not. Some of them were healthy, some of them were crippled. Some of them were lame. Some of them were blind. Some of them could not walk. Jesus did not wait for them to figure out how to climb the mountain before he talked to them. He didn't wait for them to figure out how to get healed. He didn't wait for them to figure out who's going to carry me up there. He didn't wait for them to figure out Well, when I find the right path and when I get on the right track, that's when I can go and find Jesus. He did not wait for you to climb the mountain to get to him. He came down to you where you are. Somebody shout thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. God comes down. He's the only God that's like that. He's the only God in all the history of all the different world religions that there are. He's the only God who says, I'm not going to wait for you and make you work to get to me. I've been up at the mountain, but I'm going to come down where you are. In your need. In your place of, of fear. In your place of sin. In your place of suffering. In your place of sickness. In your place of mental anguish. I'm going to come down and meet You there. Now it's interesting, after they become his disciples, though, oftentimes what does he do? He says, Okay, I came and met you here, but now I'm going to take you up to the mountain and teach you how to pray. So he didn't leave you where he found you. Come on. He didn't say, Okay, I'll just go pray every now and then. I'll come down here and meet your needs and preach a little bit and pray for you and hope things get better, and then I'm going to leave you and go back up to the mountain. He said, No, I'm going to teach you how to climb mountains. I'm going to teach you how to get to God. I'm going to teach you how to get to the Father. He came down where they are. And then I love this. The Bible says, so he came, spent all night praying. Been with the Father, getting charged up, getting spiritually renewed. He comes down the mountain to meet the people where they are, where they have a need. And the Bible says he met them at a level place. He met them at a level place. In other words, the ground around Jesus is level. The ground where you meet Jesus... That means no one has more of an advantage or less of an advantage at getting to Jesus than you do because everybody's on the same playing field. It's level ground where Jesus stands. He stands at a place where there's no big eyes and there's no little me's. All of us have equal access and opportunity to reach out and meet with God. He doesn't give anyone preferential treatment. He doesn't say because you've done that, you get a better seat in the kingdom because you did that, you get a worse seat in the kingdom. He doesn't say, well, the Christian they can sit in the back and the ones that are healthy can sit in the front the ones that are the ones that are blind they can sit on the left and the ones who are deaf can sit on the right he says no the ground where I stand is level everybody gets a chance to have an encounter with Jesus that's something to get excited about because I know I don't deserve to be there right But He still puts me on a level place where I'm on the same playing field as a rich person and as a poor person. I'm on the same playing field as the chief of sinners and the greatest of saints. I'm on the same playing field with the best looking and the ugliest. I'm on the same playing field with everybody and we all can hear from Jesus and we all can have an encounter with Jesus and I don't deserve that encounter any more than you do and you don't deserve it any more than I do. It's all based off of Him and His grace that He came down from the mountain and met us on a level place. Come on, that's good. That's good. That's who Jesus is. He meets them on a level place. And then the Bible says, comes down from the mountain. Let's look at it again. Came down with them. He stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Samaria and the seacoasts of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him. So he came down from the mountain, he met them all on a level place, and he healed every single last one of them. No one was left out from the healing, miraculous power of Jesus. No one was left out from the miracles that he was doing that morning. And the Bible almost makes a connection between he had been in the place of prayer and then power was coming out of him when he came down and met people on a level place. And everyone, everyone had the opportunity to be healed that day. Now, this doesn't happen everywhere. There are other places where Jesus goes, especially his hometown of Nazareth, where they didn't get healed. Because they didn't have faith, and they didn't believe, and they didn't trust Him, and they actually dishonored Jesus, and Jesus said, "I can't, I can't heal you here," with this atmosphere of dishonor and doubt, and with, with, uh, with. Uh, ill respect toward Jesus. And so this didn't happen everywhere, but there was something about this place where the people were just desperate enough and and Jesus was compassionate on them and they were desperate for him. And that's a that's a great connection right there. When you find out Jesus is compassionate on and for you and you realize I'm desperate enough that I need him. That song, oh God, oh God, I need you. I need you now. That kind of desperation. He responds to desperate people. He responds to people who are really seeking Him out. He responds to people who really admit and acknowledge they need Him. And He healed them all. I just feel like this is in my notes that somebody needs to hear this morning. God's will and desire for your life is health. He desires for your life to be healthy. Not just physically, I'm talking about mentally, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, and physically healthy. It is His desire. So when you go and pray later on for something, and you're asking God to heal something, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a body, a physical body issue, maybe it's a mental issue. When you're asking God to heal you, you don't have to say, if it's your will, God, will you heal me? It is His will for you to be healthy. Now that means there's some some, uh, consequences to that. Because if He desires for you to be healthy, but you're doing things that are unhealthy, He's going to require you to stop doing the things that are unhealthy so you can maintain the health He wants for you. Come on. And so he's saying, I want you to be healthy. And I mean the whole person healthy, holistically healthy. I don't mean just a one time miracle. I mean, all of your life, I want to be healthy and to flourish and to thrive and be fruitful. And so I'm going to begin to train you and teach you and lead you and mold you in what it means to live a healthy life. If that takes a miracle, yes, he'll do a miracle. If that takes putting down a cigarette, yes, he'll ask you to put down the cigarette." If that takes changing your diet a little bit, yes, He's going to ask you to change your diet because He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants your life to thrive and to flourish. It is not His will that you not be healthy. He wants you healthy. And I even hear people, you know, sometimes, uh, and I heard this a lot, even growing up, well, sometimes you go through sickness because God wants to teach you something. You, and you go through, you know, he'll, he'll make you sick so He can teach you a lesson. Yeah, and I've heard people say that. And I just want to maybe shift that a little bit, and, and I would reword that phrase. When you get sick, God can teach you things in your sickness. And we believe in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So even suffering and sickness, God can still work out for good. But God is not an abusive father who says, I'm going to hurt you in order to teach you a lesson. He's a good father. He wants you to be healthy and thrive. Even when I have to discipline my young daughter, I'm disciplining her not to hurt her, but because there's a greater danger out there. And if I don't teach her now how to avoid certain areas of life and how to avoid certain behaviors, my little swat on the hand is not the same kind of pain that she could experience if she doesn't learn how to not touch the stove. Come on. I'm not, that's not abusive father and God's not an abusive. He doesn't, God doesn't take you and stick your hand in the stove and say, see, it's hot. Come on. That's not how it works. He will discipline you. He does love you. And so he disciplines you. But listen, he wants you healthy. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to thrive. He wants the best for your life. He healed them all. Next time you get sick, you pray. Say, God, I know you want me healed. Next time you feel an ache or pain, God, I know you want this ache or- or pain healed. I know that's your will. I know that's what you want for me. Can God use that time of suffering for something else? Yes, absolutely He can. But does He desire for you to just stay in sickness all your life or to stay in mental health issues all your life or to stay in fear? Absolutely not. He healed them all when He came down from the mountain and met them on a level place. And all of us this morning, the ground around these altars, it's level. All of us have the opportunity to come forward. All of us have the opportunity to come before the the Lord and say, God, I need you right now. I need a miracle. I need to be healed. His Holy Spirit has been poured out. He has come down to where we are. We're on a level playing field, and He wants to heal and do the miraculous. So they come down from the the mountain. They're on a level place. There's a multitude of people, and and I don't know if a multitude means thirty or if a multitude means three thousand, but there was a lot. Quite a few people there, and we know that eventually Jesus did have three and five, maybe ten or fifteen thousand people following him at one time. And so he's coming to this plain on the side of the mountain, this this flat place on the side of the mountain. And he's preaching to them. Well, and first they're just trying to rush through and touch him because they sense powers coming from him. And that uh, another lady used that word in, in scripture when, uh, or another place in scripture when the lady pushed through the crowd with the issue of blood, and and she reached out and touched the hem of his garment, and. Jesus Jesus said, I felt power come from me. There's something about when you touch him, power comes. When you reach out to him, you get some power. When you reach out to him and have an experience with him, when you encounter him, power comes into your life. So there's this powerful experience happening and people are getting healed. People are running and jumping and shouting and leaping and they're saying, I'm healed. I'm excited. Look at what God has done. And then Jesus at some point tells the crowd, hey, let's hush. Hush, hush, hush. He lifts up his eyes, the scripture says. He makes eye contact with everybody and he opens his mouth and he begins to teach and to preach. Now that's kind of interesting. He healed them before he taught them anything. Isn't that interesting? He healed them before he taught them how to live right. He healed them before he told them, don't do that or do this. He healed them before they got it all figured out. I said, don't we kind of do that backwards a little bit And like We think, well, God will do something for you if you just get some things figured out first. He healed them, and then he began to preach. And he preached a peculiar message. He preached this message, or the in, really what I read today was the introduction to a longer sermon that he preached. But his introduction was preaching about the blessings and the woes the blessings and the woes. In uh, Matthew, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something similar when he talks about blessed are the poor and blessed are the meek, those kinds of things. And we've preached on those before. But in Luke, Luke takes a little bit different perspective and he has four blessings and he has four woes. And he just begins to teach about them a little bit. And he begins to talk about blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are the hungry, for you shall be satisfied. And blessed are the, those who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you when people hate you. And rejoice in that day. Get excited when people hate you. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. That's a strange message to preach. That's a, uh, an awful introduction to a sermon. You know, when you when I was in seminary, they, I took preaching classes, and they said your introduction, you got to have a, a hook. You got to have something that gets people excited and want to listen more. And he says, "Hey, if you want to be blessed, be poor. <laughs> you want to be blessed? Let people hate you a little bit. That'll be you get excited about it." Weird introduction to a sermon that Jesus preaches right here. But then he goes down, and he after that he says, "But woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your consolation." And woe to you who are full now, for you shall... So they were blessed hungry, woe if you're full. Blessed poor, woe if you're rich. Woe to you who weep or laugh now, blessed if you weep, but woe to you if you laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, so you're blessed if they hate you, but woe to you if they speak well of you, for so they did for your fathers. Now this is confusing to read. Like Jesus, what are you talking about? Why would you say these kinds of things? But I want you to maybe think about this for a second. Jesus had just healed people who were poor. He had just delivered people who were sick. He had just set people free who were suffering with mental issues and all kinds of spiritual and emotional issues. He had just spoken to the very people he was calling blessed. And he was saying, listen, Because of who you are and your need and your humility before me, you're blessed. You have opened yourselves up for the favor of God to be poured out on your life because you have positioned yourself in a place of need. But, he says, woe to you who don't think you have a need. Woe to you who think you don't need me. You think, oh, you're rich, you don't need God. Oh, oh, you're already filled up and you've already got plenty. You don't need God. Oh, people already really like you and you're already the most popular at school and you're already the best athlete. Oh, well, you don't need God then if if that's who you are. He says, if that's your attitude, listen, a fall is coming. A fall is coming. I think that Jesus isn't talking to eight different categories of people here you know there's some that are poor there's some that are weeping there's some that are laughing there are some that are rich i don't i think he's really breaking it down into two groups of people and i just want to use this language to describe it i think he's talking to the poor and to the proud i think he's dividing the population into two different kinds of people you are either matthew and when jesus says this in matthew chapter 5 he says blessed are the poor in spirit people who recognize I, I don't deserve this people who recognize I'm not good enough for God people who recognize I have a need that's who's blessed i'm I, the, the poor in spirit the poor the people who recognize you have a need you're blessed but the people who refuse to recognize your need that makes you proud and and pr- pride is one of the sins most talked about in scripture pride will exempt you from a lot of God's blessings on your life. He blesses people who acknowledge the need. We sang a song just a minute ago. Oh God, oh God, I need you. How I need you now. And listen, he's attracted to needy people. He he is not attracted to people who think they're not needy. You came on, put a mask on this morning. I don't mean a COVID mask. I'm talking about a church mask. And you said, oh, I got everything together and everything's fine and I don't want to ever act like there's ever anything wrong with me. I don't want people to think think less of me, so I'm going to put my mask on and I'm going to look good. Guess what? That's pride. And you can exempt yourself right out of a miracle. And you can exempt yourself right out of a blessing if you let your pride get in the way of your need for God. Blessed in Scripture. Put that slide up there, what, what blessing means. Blessing means to find favor with God blessing in the kingdom of God, when God blesses his people, it is a a present experience of joy and contentment. But listen, with the future guarantee of full. uh, Full completion. So when God blesses us, so, you know what, maybe you got healed or maybe God God helped you overcome something or maybe a miracle happened in your family or, or maybe a, a, a something that God answered a prayer of some kind about your child or whatever. That's a blessing, amen? But the blessing of the Lord is not just about what happened when He answered the prayer. The blessing of the Lord is, listen, that's just a piece of the good I have coming to you. He says everything that God does in our lives right now, it's just a little glimpse of what the kingdom really is like. When Satan is finally defeated, come on, when everything wrong is put right, when there, the Bible says there will never be any more sickness, no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain when that happens. So the blessing we experience now is just a foretaste of the kingdom that is coming. And so he's saying if you will be the poor, the people who will admit they have a need, you'll be blessed because I can fix some things right now, but also you're going to have a hope of a future eternity. That's the blessing of the Lord. Now, the woe in Scripture, when Jesus says woe, another word for woe is curse. And it means when, when, when a prophet or a teacher or speaker is, is pronouncing a woe on someone, they're pronouncing a painful warning of coming judgment if change does not occur. And you see this all through the Old Testament, especially the prophets. They will, they will pronounce these woes upon nations or upon groups of people who are not serving God, who are, who are living sinful lives, who are operating in idolatry and pride. And he will say, if you are prideful, woe unto you. And he says, there is, there is a coming judgment. Now, y'all have heard me preach on, and teach on this before. God's judgment is often not active, but passive. And by that, I mean God's judgment is often not He's going to strike you with a lightning bolt because you sinned. But He will allow you to suffer the natural consequences of your sin. He will allow you to suffer the natural consequences of your disobedience. And that's His judgment. Is He says, okay, you want to choose this path? You get everything that comes with it. That's how God judges. And so when the Bible pronounces a woe, when Jesus says woe to you, He's not saying I am cursing you. He's saying, listen, if things don't change, there are natural consequences to this path that you have chosen in life. And I want you to understand something, that you have to read Scripture in context of other Scripture. So when Jesus says woe to the rich, He's not saying everybody who's wealthy is cursed. Because we know in other places Jesus uses wealthy people, and God does things through wealthy people. Listen, I could use a few more wealthy people in this church. Come on, I got more vision for this place than y'all got money. I promise you. (laughs) But but so Jesus is saying, but if you're rich and you think you don't have any needs, you're proud. He says, listen, if, you're, if you think you've already got it all figured out, you're full now, you're proud and emptiness is coming. If, if you're just laughing now and you're not recognizing that there are other people who are weeping and you're not re- recognizing other people who have heartache and you're not recognizing other people who are suffering and you and your richness and you and your fullness are not doing anything to help those who are weeping, guess what? Weeping's coming for you. And he says, you know what? If everybody thinks just the best about you, everybody likes you right now, but they don't know the real you. And they just know the mask you've been wearing. Guess what? That's pride. And something's coming. And so this isn't necessarily a pronouncement of I'm judging you right now. A woe is not guess what judgment's here. The woe is guess what if things don't change. Judgment's coming. He says, "We just admit you've got a need? There's another place in Scripture where uh, the sinful woman comes and washes Jesus' feet. Do you remember that story? And the Pharisees in the room, they're kind of thinking to themselves, you know, uh, why in the world would Jesus let this happen? And you know what Jesus' response is to him, right? He says, only the sick need a doctor. If you're healthy, you don't need one. He wasn't saying they were healthy. He was saying you haven't admitted you're sick she has and she got a doctor today come on so he's saying to them that he's dividing the poor in spirit or the proud in spirit and he's saying if you're proud you're exempting yourself from my blessings but if you will admit your spiritual poverty before the god of the universe he will begin to meet your needs and there's a promise of future blessing and fulfillment amen amen And there's this pattern. I alluded to this a minute ago. That first Jesus healed them and then He began to teach them and preach to them. First He healed them and then He told them, hey, I'm going to reverse your thinking. Because the natural thinking is, is if you're laughing now, you're blessed. If you're wealthy now, you're blessed. If people like you now, you're blessed. That's the natural way of thinking. But Jesus reverses it, right? And so He does that after He's released them from their issues. He releases them. He heals them. He sets them free. He delivers them from demons. He, he heals their minds. He heals their bodies. So He releases them. And then He reverses their way of thinking. And that's a pattern in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry. Is that oftentimes first He'll meet your need and then He'll reverse your thinking about what your need was in the first place. He will start with you where you're at. He comes down from the mountain to the level place to meet you in your place of need and suffering, and He will release you. He will bless you. He will do the miraculous. He will do what only He can do. But then He will say, let me teach you some things and reverse some things and help you see life in a little bit different perspective and almost a 180 degree different perspective. I'm going to turn your world upside down if you'll let me speak into your life. I'm going to do some things different. And this is a pattern to release them from their chains, their bondage, their sickness, their addiction, their issue, and then lead them into a reversal of their lives to keep them from going the wrong direction and begin going the right direction. But to get their attention on the road, first He did the miracle. First He met their need. And then He called them to repent and reverse the direction of their lives. We get it so backwards in the church and we get it so backwards in evangelism and we get it so backwards in discipleship and we say, you know what? When you kick it in reverse, that's when God will start working in your life. When you turn around, when you get things right, when you get things figured out, when you get all your bills paid, when you get all those, you know, make all your amends to the right people, that's when God will start working in your life. But that's not how God works in the Bible. He, doesn't, he didn't ask them to repent before he healed them. He didn't ask for them to say a sinner's prayer before he healed them. He didn't ask them to come to an altar before he healed them. He didn't ask them to start coming to church for at least six, eight, six or eight weeks consistently before he healed them. He met them where they were and healed them. And then he said, guess what? Start coming to church six eight weeks in a row consistently. <laughs> He'd met their need where they're at. And I just feel like, I don't know why I'm camping out on this, but I want somebody to hear, God wants to meet somebody's need in your life. God wants to meet somebody's need in your life. And you've been waiting for them to get things right before God will release them. And actually, what if God wants to release them and then teach them how to live right? Think about that. Think about that. What if we did witnessing and evangelizing and sharing about Jesus differently? What if instead of lecturing the guy at the corner of the street about all of his bad decisions that led to him needing to ask for money on the corner of the street... What if we met his need first? And I don't mean just a dollar. What if there was a ministry that could really provide for the needs of that person and say, hey, we can give you a place to live. We can teach you a skill. We can teach you a job. And we'll get you warm. We'll get you fed. And then we'll teach you how to live your life right. How stupid would it be to say, oh, we'll teach you how to live your life right after you figure out how to live your life right? (laughs) Right? But we do that all the time with people. I, I literally was helping someone recently try to get into a rehab for drug addiction. They told me he had to be clean six weeks before he could get into rehab. <laughs> what? <laughs> that didn't make any sense. What if we did it differently? What if we met their need where they're at? What if we just loved... And The basic need everybody has is to be loved. What if we just loved that person live an alternative lifestyle right where they are? What if that's what got their attention? Wow, those people, they really love me and they care about me. Maybe there's something to this Jesus thing. What if that's how we live life? We often want people to do it the other way, to reverse their behavior before God will release them from their infirmity. But, you know, I've I've come to, in my Short time serving Jesus to know he rarely does things the way I think he should do them. Usually he has a better idea and a better concept and a better way of doing things. He loves people where they're at. And then just, just final thought here. Jesus came to teach us, you know, well, you hear people talk about this. They'll say, well, Jesus came so he could die on a cross. And we, we do, we skip from Christmas to Easter. And we would rather not talk about the Jesus in between. Because that's the Jesus that talks about loving your enemies. And that's the Jesus that talks about turning the other cheek. And that's the Jesus that talks about living generously. And so let's just skip to the cross and skip all that other stuff that we would rather not have to deal with. But I believe, yes, Jesus came to die on a cross, pay for our sins, be resurrected, give us an eternity and glory. I believe all of that, but I believe he was intentional about everything he did in the in-between. I believe he wanted to teach us how to be human. He wanted to teach us how to be the humans that God created us to be. And so I think that everything Jesus did was a pattern that we ought to try to repeat and replicate. So Jesus went to the mountain, and spent time with the Father. He came down and met people where they were in their need. He didn't give anyone preferential treatment. He left them exactly where they were, and everybody had level ground and where where they could access Jesus. He healed them, and then he taught them. And I believe that's the pattern for us. That our lives ought to be lives of we've been to the mountain in the presence of God with the Father. That's what we're doing today. That's what church is about. That's what your private prayer time is about. That's what reading your Bible is about. That's why it's important to read your Bible and pray. That's why it's important to not just wait for me. The only scripture you get every week is because I read it to you on a Sunday morning. Not going to cut it. If that's the only time you get Bible is when I'm reading it to you. You had not been to the mountain yet. But if you will get in the habit like Jesus of consistently and continually going to spend time with the Father on the mountain, in the prayer closet, in the Bible, in your time where you can get to know God, that's where you get the power you need so that you can come down to the mountain, from the mountain, and there's going to be people around you everywhere that have needs. There's going to be people around you everywhere that got problems. There's going to be people around you everywhere that have something they need. And you will have been with the Father and know how to meet the needs of the people. And then if you don't treat them with preferential treatment and say, oh, I'll just bless the ones that smell good or I'll just bless the ones that can give in the offering or I'll just bless the ones that that have something. If you'll put them all on a level playing ground, just love the people God brings to you and let God use you to meet the needs of the people in your sphere of influence. Then you have have influence have over them to teach them how to live for Jesus. I believe it's a pattern that we're supposed to follow in life. He comes down. I'm so thankful he came down the mountain for me. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful the ground at the foot of the cross is a level place where we can all have access to God. I'm so thankful his will for my life is health and thriving and flourishing and prospering in spiritual matters. I'm so happy and so thankful that he taught me. Hey, don't go this way reverse and go the other way simple message today simple message today what's the pattern of jesus that he's showing us in this scripture what can he do for us and what's he calling us to do would you stand with me this morning pastor katie would you come if you're here this morning and you would say well it's hard to say one thing let's do it a different way if you came in here this morning with pride in your heart, the words of Jesus pronounce a woe on you this morning. And he says, woe unto you if you came with pride in your heart because you have disqualified yourself from me moving in your life. If the attitude of my heart is I don't need God, then I don't leave God any room to move. And so I just want to ask everyone in the room for a second, just check your pride for a minute. Are you willing to admit you have a need before the Lord? There's a reason that in AA and NA and every other recovery program or ministry, every other addiction recovery ministry, every other thing that deals with any kind of addiction, the first step is always admitting you have a problem. Because until you can acknowledge I have a need, God can't meet the need. And so I want to ask you, just uh, this is between you and the Lord. No hands raised, nothing like that, because I, I, that's not what this is about. But if you say, you know what, there's some pride in my relationship with God. Let me, let me tell you, that well, this is what pride looks like. Pride looks like, I can handle this on my own. I don't need to pray about this. Pride looks like I can manage this issue on my own and I'm not going to share it with my sphere of spiritual friends that are there that God put in my life to shape me and mold me and sharpen me and I'm going to keep it a secret because I can manage it. Pride looks like I know this is a sin, but I don't think it's that bad of a sin so I'm going to just keep my pets in and not obey the word of God. Pride looks like, well, I've been listening to this message and I know the person on the other end of my row probably needs to come to the altar, but I don't. That's what pride looks like. to ask you to be poor this morning for just a moment and I don't mean necessarily financially but would you confess before the Lord God compared to your riches your mercy your grace your love and your perfection I'm spiritually poor and I have a need in my life and I believe that when I come humbly before the Lord in that kind of spiritual poverty that the Lord is attracted to your need he's attracted to desperate people He's attracted to people who will admit they don't have it all figured out. And when you get that desperate, you're like the woman elbowing through the crowd to get to the Lord and touch the hem of his garment. When you're that desperate, you're like the friends that tore the roof off of the house, let their friend down to be healed by Jesus. That's when miracles begin to happen is when you get desperate for it you'd say, God, I came here this morning with a need, and I need you to meet that need. We've already come forward, but if you'd say, Pastor, I want to humbly come before the Lord this morning, because I have a need that I can't meet on my own, and I can't manage on my own, and I need the Lord to do a work in my life, would you step out for just a moment and say, Pastor, I've got a need. Step out to come to the altar, and we want to pray with you. I've got a need, whatever it is, healing in my body. I've got a need in my child's life. have got a need in my family. have got a financial need. Whatever it is, don't let pride keep you.